This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we have a special guest who's here with us today. Hi, I'm Natasha. Hey, Natasha. How's it going? uh, Unspoiled. What's up, everybody? (laughs) Not much. We've got really great (laughs) Thursday energy on this pod. I'm not sure what it is. Andrew and I. It's because I'm drinking caffeine. Oh, that's good. That sounds good. Andrew and I are Craig, still. I really like how every every time we have a have a guest on, you throw the intro to them like a half deflated basketball, and <laughs> just like expect them to <laughs> catch it and well, run with I it. I have learned it's not like I try to do it <laughs> such with a rhythm. Okay, we're gonna be talking about James and the Giant Peach by Roald Dahl in a second, um, but and for the rest of the show thereafter. But uh, I've tried to toss it to folks, and Natasha, you tell me how I did. Um, I don't want it to be like people have to jump in on the same name train that we're on if we haven't told them to, right? I want to give them an invitation. How was the invitation? (laughs) I have no idea how to quantify this. I'm going to say it was good. Okay. Like a 10-point scale, let's say. It was a solid seven. Seven. That's great. Seven. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. There wasn't so much of a gap that I started to be like, ah. But it was a little bit of a moment of me opening my mouth to start to say my name. So, yeah. Fans of the genre would appreciate that introduction. Um, so every week on our show, we read a book and then talk about it. Um, we're in the throes of November, which means we're going to talk about a book that at least some of us have read before. Um, and that sort of fits what you're up to on unspoiled as well natasha so Mm -hmm. who has read this book already before you had to read it for this week's show i had read it as a kid i had also read it and what i would have done uh was had a co-host who had not read it before if i was going to do a regular unspoiled show well i'm happy to be that co-host today because i had not read this I had not oh, read man. this as a kid. You never read about this boy and his big fruit. I <laughs> just I feel don't. Like, I feel like I saw clips of the movie. I'm sure I've I've never seen the play. Um, that movie is wild, by yeah. the way. The '96 uh, um, stop motion one, which you'd be. I think you'd be forgiven if you thought that Tim Burton was involved, but no, I think it's just kind of a Burton-esque effort that drafts off of Nightmare Before Christmas a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think some of the same stop-motion folks were involved, even though he was sure. not. Yeah, for sure. Um, so was this like a beloved classic for either of y'all? Yeah. I, I'd say so. It, the, this book specifically wasn't... I loved Royal Doll growing mm. up in, in general, mm-hmm. um, but... Like once I reread this, I realized what I liked about him, which is the fact that he is freaking bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> like this book just goes so far with just completely not caring about anything in the world and yes. doing whatever it feels like. And I really miss like enjoying whimsy because mm. the whole time I was reading, it, I was like, this doesn't make sense. This isn't right. And then I'm just like, oh, God, I am so boring. And I suck so much. I'm an Being adult, an adult is the worst. And I need make everything it a to giant, make sense. Make it a giant peach fly with seagulls wouldn't work <laughs> like this. No way. Oh, I was got to bring a very Neil deGrasse Tyson energy <laughs> to the Oh God, Andrew! That is like the most <laughs> insulting thing that's ever been said to me. Though not inaccurate, I'm not like you're totally on point with it. But pff, I'm gonna have to say that to myself to kind of calm my my, <laughs> my bits down when like, I start to get a little bit well, too we can, pedantic. We can talk about it because one of the interesting things about the book that I'd kind of forgotten is the way that it 
combines totally fantastical things with like totally mundane like facts about bugs yes it is it is kind of inviting the the scrutiny just a little tiny bit by Mm -hmm. by giving kids real facts but then also making rainbows be made out of paint that you can break into shards this book is way nuttier than i thought it would be (laughs) Mm -hmm. do you want let's should we talk about roll doll first Sure. Just a little bit to set the stage. I don't know how what much. Got? Okay, I have stuff, um, and I'll just go. I know. I just know. I read a ton of his books when I was a kid. Like the big ones were James and the Giant Peach, uh, yep. Matilda, and then the two Charlie and the Chocolate Factory books. Charlie's and the Chocolate um, Factory. Yes. Yeah, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is the one, and then um, Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, which is not as good of a book, but so- has some of that weird flavor in it. Sure, mm-hmm. sure, sure, sure. It's you know, if you come expecting Roald Dahl, you'll be you'll be satisfied, I think. But have either of you read any of his adult stories? I have, I have not. not. No. They're the horniest stories you've ever read. <laughs> like this man was just very interested in sex as a plot device and it is at times you it's very straight like there's a couple of stories where there's also an element of like body horror tied in with it yes and uh, yeah it's a little bananas like as far as I i haven't read them recently but i enjoyed reading them at the time and i really wonder now looking back how because one of them in particular is about men who wife swap Whoa. and they don't cool. tell their wives which no. is an awesome premise how does that but, work but uh, <laughs> they each like wear each other's cologne and and wear each other's clothing and oh, like no. stuff and like slip out of bed in the middle of the night and then into each other's beds and one of these guys has been lusting after the other dude's wife for ages and is very excited to do this and then in when he goes back to his bed in the morning, he gets up and he's talking to his wife, asking, you know, just out of curiosity, like, so did you have a good time last night knowing that she slept with a neighbor? And she tells him that she feels like for the first time she understands why people enjoy sex and that she never had an orgasm before. And suddenly he seemed to understand her bot. And he's like sitting there, like his face draining of color and realizing that he's just, and he looks out the window and the neighbor's mowing his lawn and gives him like this big smug wink. And that's the end of the story. Yes. Oh boy. Whoa. (laughs) So yeah, he, uh, he really goes for it is what I'm saying. And I think everybody should just check it out to, to really see the foil against a peach that bugs live in. Maybe this explains why when I went to RollDoll.com, there was a pop-up that said, Greetings to you and how do you do? So that you have the very best time, we must firstly ask if you are a teacher, kid, or grown-up. And then you mm. could click on each button and it took you to different parts of his catalog. Um, but nice. it's mostly focused on the children, but I, you know, I, that's what I clicked I like on. The- Rolled Doll's website has like a curtain for the adult yes. section that you can only go <laughs> back into curtain. if you're old enough. Yeah. Um, Mr. Doll was born in 1916 in Wales to some Norwegian parents. He was named after the first dude to reach the South Pole, which I think is cool. Yeah. Um, his birthday, I think, is September 13th, which is Rolled Doll Day. You can find out more tidbits about that by just googling roll doll day if you want if you need to do anything on that day um he did die in 1990 uh, at the age of 74 um he did like experience loss at a pretty young age like his older sister and his dad died when he was a kid he was sent away to the repton boarding school which he hated because there was lots of hazing and stuff like that and that informs some of his books where kids are like being mistreated or um i think like the witches and stuff like like various settings where like a boy is having a tough time mm-hmm. in society. Um, apparently, the Cadbury chocolate people would come to this school and test chocolate on the boys. Like, what do you think of this chocolate? And when you say it like that, it sounds so sinister. But yeah, like when I think about it, that. I'm like, that's rad. <laughs> wow. And he apparently like used to dream up like, what if I could make a candy bar that Mr. Cadbury would like? And you know, he drew on that for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, that's so awesome! And it's it's kind of interesting how he does like a Kevin Smith esque 
fictional universe. Yes, he does. <laughs> um, because in this book, which is published in 61, he mentions both a chocolate factory and these things called vermicious canids. Vermicious canids. <laughs> which show up um, later in the 1973 Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator as like aliens that spell out the word scram to tell people to go away. <laughs> Um, so yeah, he would, he would come up with these weird fanciful names for things and then he would insert them into other books to like give them a sort of through line. Sure. But yeah, Charlie and Chocolate Factory was in 64. Um, Matilda was in 88. It was pretty late. Yeah. In between Um, that, you get Fantastic Mr. Fox and the BFG and the mm -hmm. witches and stuff like that. Yeah. I liked Fantastic Mr. Fox also. Yeah. I just saw that actually. I, yeah, so he's George like, Clooney? Yeah, is that, he's in that movie? so weird. Yeah, the whole cast, I was just like, Hot what? Fox. <laughs> <laughs> but with the like through line, like I'm realizing that he's sort of like a children's Stephen King. Like he a, is. He is. That's a good way to yeah, think about it. Because there are frequently these like grotesque characters, but also, yeah, there's a very like dairy main well, yeah. underlying and- like shared fictional fabric that all the books have in common he's one of the best-selling children's authors and he never wrote like a series like he never wrote a long-running like even stephen king has like the dark tower books right like there's no it's not narnia it's not any of the other like oh i'm a big children's author and i have all like i have all the harry potter books or whatever like that he's Mm -hmm. closer to like almost dr seuss in a way where it's like, here's just a bunch of cool books I wrote that kids love. Um, yeah, he had planned apparently a third uh, Charlie book, but it, n- it just never ended up sure. happening. Uh, he was a sick called Charlie in the White House. Great. Perfect. Which, what? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Are you, is this a little fun bit or is no, that it's true? Real. It's real. Charlie in the White House. <sighs> All right. I'm not happens. sorry that didn't happen anymore. It's fine. That's best um, for the best. He was a sick World War II fighter pilot, and then when his plane crashed and he couldn't be a pilot anymore, he was an intelligence officer in the U.S., um, which is kind of neat. He worked against America First stuff in the U.S., which is kind of cool, which he then later in some interviews in the 80s made some anti-Semitic comments, which maybe balances the scales back against him. Who knows Mm -hmm. what you're going to do. He did... Uh, invent a valve to help you drain fluid from your brain or he helped to invent it because like you know your kid has a brain injury and then you want to help him and then you find some dudes to make a valve to get the fluid out of his brain i'm real doll were his qualifications he didn't invent it okay he did not invent it he knew a man who was a hydraulics engineer and he knew a neuroscientist and he played matchmaker and is on the patent, and none of them took any money for it because it's for kids and brains and kid brains. (laughs) So he was very formative to child minds for so so many different ways. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. You just put put cool characters and and fictional scenarios into their brains, and then you drain all the fluid out to make more room for more books. Sure. Um, what we should probably you guys get are really the... on a roll with phrasing things tonight and making it all seem really scary and and it's, it's just kind of alarming. We're still recording this in October, and so it's got kind of spooktober fumes. Yes, that's true. <laughs> wafting off of it. Um, we should probably get into the book because there's like other stuff about his legacy and like what types of writing he's remembered for and what people do and don't like about his writing that I think will come up as we talk about the story itself mm-hmm. um which it sounds like we all had a fun time reading and i certainly don't come here to like dunk on james and the giant peach i don't come here to bury james but to praise him um <laughs> thank you both uh-huh. who wants to start by telling us about the super cool thing that happens to james at the beginning of this book <laughs> i'm uh i really want andrew to do it <laughs> His, James is James. What James Henry Trotter is his name. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, he is a happy boy, but then his parents are eaten by a rhinoceros, and he has to go live with his mean aunts. Like, I don't. That's the setup. I don't think mm-hmm. an angry rhinoceri eat people. Eh, you'd be wrong about that, my friend. 
Because it happened to James Henry Trotter's parents. It's <laughs> true. <laughs> and that's science. And that is science. That's just science. That I was need... the moment when I was rereading this that I realized that I was in for more than I remembered. Yeah. Because <laughs> when his parents get eaten by a rhinoceros, I was like, word? <laughs> there okay. are so many things. There are so many things in this book that I did not remember. It, it yep. felt like Shel Silverstein owes a big debt of gratitude mm. to Roald Dahl. Immediately, I was like, oh, that's the type of world I'm in. It's like, Yeah, that makes sense, actually. I um, like that connection. So his, he's sent to live with his crappy aunts, Spiker and Sponge, mm-hmm. which are just Ninja Turtle villains, I think. I am sorry to say that they were both really horrible people. They were selfish and lazy and cruel. And right from the beginning, they started beating poor James for almost no reason at all. So this is a common thread in Dahl's work. It's not the case in Charlie Bucket's family, but it's definitely a, a thing here and in Matilda is... Horrible, mean caretaker figures who the child must escape using some kind of fantastical means. Mm-hmm. And they're just bad people. There's no equivocating. There's no attempt to understand them. They're just awful to him in a classical kid lit sense. Um, it's really amazing. Like, I, when be- we talked about the movie being really something earlier, and it is such a <laughs> something that. All these years later, I have not rewatched it, and yet reading this, those claymation figures were in my mind every scene that these two were in. And uh, Aunt Spiker, in particular, is really alarming looking. Has almost <laughs> pointed teeth at times, depending on like what mood she's in. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the various scenes of her, them calling him, you disgusting little beast, you disgusting creature and they call him it a lot just set it outside and don't let it get anything on the curtains like this kind of attitude i really loved it to be honest because listen i don't intend to have any children Uh and in my heart of hearts if i were to have a child i have a hard time thinking that i would not react this way to the child being near my very nice curtains with his face and hands covered in chocolate or whatever i would just like there there are elements to these terrible horrible aunts that i relate to i mean listen i have a three-month-old baby and i love him so much but he didn't poop for two days and then when he finally did it was a just uh that i think that the EPA has declared my house a super fun site. Like it is, it, it was a bad scene. <laughs> you got yeah, a champion a... pooper on your hands, huh? It was, yeah, it was bad. It was I'm, bad. I'm going to a, uh, a baby shower this Saturday actually. And we were out buying stuff and I had a moment of just being like, am I sure I don't want to have kids? And I'd pretended that I was pregnant mentally for a second, just to be like, how would I feel about it? And the overwhelming panic that, just filled me that just was like a it was almost like heart stopping this just oh my god i was like nope i'm good so yeah these two aunts didn't ask for this little brat to be dumped in their lap they didn't have like you know their stupid relatives went and got ate by a rhinoceros like who does that that's true it does I like to imagine them on Twitter, like really obnoxiously complaining about people's oh, kids man. on planes and like <laughs> calling everybody breeders and all that <laughs> that fun, oh, that God, fun I like child that. free thing <laughs> yep. that people do. There, it does. It is a good example of a thing that I, from what I understand, a lot of doll fiction does do. I think, as I recall, and is certainly a fixture of kids lit, where like. We can also tell that they are bad people by like how Dahl describes them. He does do that thing oh, yeah. where like moral qualities do are you know directly impacted by how like extreme you are in your appearance. Mm-hmm. So like Aunt Spudge was enormously fat and very short. She had small piggy eyes, a sunken mouth, and one of those white flabby faces that looked exactly as though it had been boiled. She was a gr- <laughs> she was like a great white soggy overboiled cabbage. Aunt Spiker, on the other hand, was lean and tall and bony, and she wore steel rim- steel-rimmed spectacles that fixed onto the end of her nose with a clip. She had a screeching voice and long, wet, narrow lips, and whenever she got angry or excited, little <laughs> flecks of spit would come shooting out of her mouth as she talked. So even, like, as I read it back, it is it 
feels even more descriptive than I remember. Um, but it does. The book has giant bugs in it, and they are described <laughs> more favorably <laughs> than these two ants. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was reading a little bit about folks, like, having issues with this type of children's literature. And there's, like, whatever. Like, stuff is messy, and kids love gross stuff, and kids love reading about characters that are, like, memorable and distinct and have things like that. And so you can talk about, if you're reading this with a kid, you can talk about whether or not that's a fair appraisal of someone, I suppose. Because, mm-hmm. um, like, you don't want, I wouldn't want a kid coming out of the book that I read being like, well, anybody who looks like that is as nasty as Aunt Sponge. Let's just talk about how nasty Aunt Sponge is. Yeah, right. and it, it's tough because I think across all of, especially like kid lit, but really a lot of other lit as well. Like we yeah. talked about Dickens a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. This was a thing with him too. For sure. But there is, and I guess also in society, <laughs> there is there's so much equating of like fat and being overweight especially with some kind of moral shortcoming or moral failure that mm-hmm. it is it's it's hard to it, it is hard for me sometimes to just look at one book doing it and be like oh it's just one book it's descriptive sure. whatever like it, it it's it's a cumulative thing and it's it's hard to avoid and i don't know like henry doesn't like read yet so it's i still got time but <laughs> i'm not sure i'm not sure how to how to bring that up i guess or like counteract it because it's hard to find examples that cut the other way i don't know yeah Yeah, that's one of those things that like i mean even going back and reading the first harry potter book the descriptions of dudley and uncle vernon Uh are really horrifying and it would be one thing if it was like well she really like leaned into that on the first book because she was clearly writing something more children like for more imaginative younger children and then you go into like the third and fourth book yeah yeah. it's still really a thing especially with dudley um especially considering that like really there aren't any other fat characters in that book at all that i can Mm. remember Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. there's just hagrid being big overall but you know so yeah it's uh as somebody who is fat i am a lot more conscious now of how frequently this sort of thing comes up and how much yeah. I just took mm-hmm. for granted that that was like a perfectly fine shorthand as a kid. Sure. And like looking back, I'm just like, Ooh, the damage, you know? And like Andrew's saying, just trying to find an example cutting the other way is close to impossible. Yeah. 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 Um, and when you're just like bombarded with that, how 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 does one not internalize that? Like it's gotta be it's gotta be super tricky. And, so so yeah, it's 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 a thing that is going on. It's it's over mostly by the time the ants exit the picture, which we will talk about because it's one of the many <laughs> just true. utterly macabre, horrible things that happens in the book. And, but, it, and it's hard to But yeah, it's yeah. It's hard to put in a vacuum too, because it's he is deploying the same skills that make the rest of the whimsy really, really work. Mm-hmm. Um it's not like he is it's not poorly crafted. It's just you know, societally harmful. <laughs> um <laughs> to be blunt uh, oh god it's just you know gonna cause long-term damage on all of our psyches but at least he did it well well yeah well, no i'm i, I mean if totally you're gonna be you, evil do a good job yeah. like it's, it's <laughs> if you're gonna be evil slip do a good job. that's the new google motto by the seat of your pants evil, i've been yeah. saying yep like, so he meets I can, a man. I can respect a bad person at least if they're somewhat intelligent and <laughs> that's that's woof that's okay <laughs> yeah, I, I can't fault you there. I think I feel the same way. Um, so James meets a creepy wizard grandpa. Who is this guy? I don't know. He's like wandering out in the woods to do something. I don't remember what he's doing. And he meets an old man who's got a bag of bugs or beans or rocks. They're green little and they green move. wormy things. In the movie, they're sort of like glowing green worms, right? Yeah, a little Am bit. Am I remembering that right? Yeah. It's, it's very like they're... He keeps. What does he keep calling them? The the flexor. So he calls them something that's like not really um, determining a creature that they like line up with. But I really remember like the look of these in the movie in particular was something that yeah. stuck with me because they glow and look so cool. 
Mm-hmm. And they like and, move in the bag and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they're jumping around. They're very sort of like uh um manic, you mm. know, constantly mm-hmm. trying to get out. And so when he drops the bag, it's an immediate like race to get as close to yeah. a living thing as they can right away. They're referred to just as green things, like over and over again. Okay. That's the terminology. But when it's when he so the the old wizard grandpa tells James, go like eat these with some of your hair and you'll be happy. You will never be miserable again. <laughs> yes. I am dying to like, know what was going to happen if he did this. <laughs> yeah. Does he just become a big peach? He becomes just, somehow. Doesn't it seem like all that happens is that things just become supersized. Things get big. Yeah. Things get big. That's what the movie Supersize Me is about. Um <laughs> So he's he's running to go into the house to devour these green things and be happy forever when he trips and he dumps the bag all over the ground. And before he can save any of them, they all burrow into the ground and they're gone. And it's like a giant. And then they're clearly going towards the peach tree and going in the ground around the peach tree, which this is an old barren peach tree that's never grown any fruit. And yes. It's just hanging out. Apparently yeah. inspired by a cherry tree outside of Roald Dahl's house, but he thought peaches would be better. Go yeah, figure. I think that's fair. I could see that being... Peaches have a tougher skin, so I can imagine it standing up to the uh, the tumbling a little bit oh, better. Sure. If, you're, if you're covered in cherry juice, it's a real carry situation. Ooh, like, yeah. You don't... <laughs> So I don't think you could land this thing on the top of the Empire State Building no. and not <laughs> horrify people with the way that you look. Oh, so, God. So the first thing that the ants do is resort to capitalism. They, they This giant peach <laughs> grows in the tree that has never born a, a peach before. So it's as big as a house, and it only stops growing when it touches the ground. And I don't remember which ant is which when they're like we could eat it and not be hungry and the other one's like nah but money mm-hmm, let's mm-hmm. have some money uh there's a great illustration in my the kindle edition that i got was had illustrations from quentin blake in 1995 and there's this great picture of like all these people trying to see this peach and there's like five helicopters above them <laughs> like people are so pumped about this peach i love it and the they're edition gonna... I have, I think, has the original. Oh, no, that is Quentin, Quentin oh, Blake. Oh, Quentin okay. Blake. I was yeah. gonna say the original. I think it's just the ones from the edition that I read as a kid, and so I thought they were the originals. <laughs> but ninety-five would be about right. I'm I trying guess. to figure okay. out who illustrated mine because these illustrations are frankly like kind of horrifying. Like they it sort of remind me of the style of like the uh, the scary stories. Oh to yes, tell, like to the watercolor that's sort of like drippy and very like freaky looking. Illustrated yeah. by Nancy Eckholm Burkert. I believe that those okay, are yeah, the original. She ones. is the yep. she's the original illustrator. Yeah. Well, she freaky. <laughs> <laughs> like the old man I mean, who's like trying to give him too, this bag yeah. has a, a head shaped like a perfect sphere. Ooh. And he looks like a straight up alien. So yeah. All right, lady. I see you. In our edition, he just looks like Richard Schiff from TV's <laughs> The West Wing. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> oh, God. So they, they like they lock James in the house so that he can't peach. Um, and he's all he's all mad because he's like, yo, there's a, probably a bunch of kids trying to pay to see this peach. I could like actually meet a kid and get out of your hair. And they're like, nah, live in the house. Live under. Mm-hmm. Do they put him under the stairs, Harry Potter style? Or do they? I don't remember where they lock him up. I know they make him sleep on boards, but I don't remember where he has to. I, I think he's the in the attic. He in. Okay. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, but. Why does he? So then he gets to the peach somehow, and I don't really remember how or why. They tell him to clean up all the garbage oh. that the people left when mm-hmm. they came to look at the big peach. Okay, and then he sees like a hole in the peach. Right. Yeah, mm. and they also like didn't give him any dinner, so my oh, yes. mind thinks that maybe he was thinking that he might take a little bite, a little just nibble, kinda, nibble. Yeah, just nibble. try and do it somewhere where they wouldn't notice it. Sure. Sure. And he goes in there, and there's just a bunch of bugs in there. <laughs> there's a bunch of big bugs who all seem to know him. They are so pumped. I may, I highlighted <laughs> immediately when the bugs are like, we've been waiting for you, which is just the nicest thing to say to a kid who's had a crappy life. 
It's just, we've been wait, we're giant bugs and we've been waiting for you. I love these bugs so much. It's almost like bugs. The, the little th- green things like had knowledge of James because they were given to him. Yes. And so when these things each got touched by one, they also like inherited like this sort of religion that James is their <laughs> messiah. <laughs> Which I'm fine he, with. I mean, he kind of lives up to it, too. He does like help them out a bunch. Yeah. They do all kind of accept his authority over them pretty quickly. It's very yeah, bizarre. Once things start going south. There, yeah, yeah, there is no King Bug. There's no like boss bug <laughs> of the bugs. Like they're just like, oh, James is here. He's in charge. Boss bug. Boss. I like this. This <laughs> sounds like a super baby. villain. I need this. <laughs> and what are, Andrew, tell me about these bugs. What bugs do we meet? Well, we got a old grasshopper. Got mm-hmm. a ladybug, got a spidey, got a uh, centipede, got an earthworm who's blind and complaining all the time yep. about being an earthworm. And then there is a glowworm who mostly serves as a light fixture Yep, and a silkworm who makes silk. And I think that's everybody, right? I, I think that's everybody. Yeah, I think so. yeah. What was it like revisiting these bugs, Natasha? It was extremely, again... I hate being a grown up because <laughs> damn did I relate to Earthworm. Like I just I distinctly remember when Centipede was like my jam when he was my boy and he was out here I, just being like, "Oh, lighten up, it'll be fine." And like as a kid, you're like, "Yeah, it's a book. Of course it's going to be fine. Shut up." And I just <laughs> wanted to get on with the fun parts. And now I'm reading Earthworm and he's like, we're all going to drown. They're going to eat us. We're going to starve to death. It'll be a long, painful death and we'll suffer terribly. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably. Yeah, you got it. The boy yeah. is quite right. The old green grasshopper said we are floating beautifully. Now we must all sit down and keep perfectly calm. Everything will be all right in the end. What absolute nonsense, cried the earthworm. <laughs> Nothing is ever all right in the end. And well, you know it. It's like, yes, yes, I am an earthworm. Yep. Ladybug says of him, he loves to make everything into a disaster. He hates to be happy. He is only happy when he is gloomy. Like, I I, I really don't like it about myself. I'll be straightforward. You know, this is not something I'm proud of. But yeah, it feels it's right. the way. Yeah. Later on, Earthworm brags that he eats that he eats dirt all the time and James is like ew that's gross and then the earthworm's like yeah every ounce of dirt that you've ever touched has been through an earthworm and James is like yo that's gross yeah <laughs> <laughs> my rea- my one big adult reaction to this was just the thought of them riding on this peach for days and days and just eating the peach the sticky nasty old peach yes. and being all sticky and gross all that it'd be so sticky they crawl through a tunnel of peach yes yep. yeah like the, the so Ugh. they they chop the peach out of the tree it goes rolling down the hill they roll over the ants i guess kill them mm-hmm. oh yes they're dead totally dead it is unambiguous smash through that chocolate factory get chocolate everywhere and then i guess go over the cliffs of dover like, Roald Dahl says they're very famous English cliffs. <laughs> I think those are the only ones that I know are the White Cliffs I didn't Dover. even think of that, but yeah. Yep, that's got to um, be what it is. And then they go just crashing into the sea, uh, and they have to start flying because sharks want to eat the peach mm-hmm. and them, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't know if we had started recording, or maybe this was earlier in the episode, Andrew, when you were just like, yeah, I guess we catch a bunch of birds. To start yeah, flying? that was earlier in the episode. Well, how does that work? They got to get out of the shark ocean. The shark. They lasso a bunch of, of seagulls with thread from the spider and the silkworm. 501 and the, seagulls. 502 seagulls. Oh, excuse me. The, it starts to lift out of the water with the 501st seagull, and then the 502nd seagull is the one that gets them up. So... And then the peach is mostly fine because there's this big, long section about the way that shark heads are shaped and they've got protruding noses that would keep them from 
finding purchase on a large spherical object like a peach. Like, this... can we talk about the fact that he felt the need to justify this after he has a peach being carried by a bunch of seagulls? <laughs> like, why was this the thing that he was like, nobody's going to buy that the sharks did not eat this peach. I am really going to have to figure out a way to explain this one. This get, like, well, it, I think it does a thing that you were talking about earlier, Natasha, which is like it does some kid whimsy that is also mixed with like grounded stuff. Mm. where the kid would want it to be able to be lifted by the birds, but then the kid that you're telling the story to would also ask you, why can't the sharks eat it? And so you got to come up with a reason. Like, it feels very in conversation with either the kid reading or the kid being read to um, in a way that I was really impressed by and and taken with. I don't know. It just Mm. feels like it. he has fun answers for why things can happen and then also is like, yeah, okay, if that happened, it would go this way, and that's why that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. He's a clever I like dude. That. And, though I the did, whole middle. <laughs> I yeah, do want to know. So okay, Centipede sings lots of songs. It's very like the sure Hobbit does. up in here with the with he the would centipede. Totally have a podcast. Yeah, the centipede would have <laughs> too many podcasts, and he is like singing a bunch of songs. He sings one song about how much he loves all sorts of different foods, including hot dogs. How does centipede know what hot dogs is? How does he? How does he know what hot dogs is? That's how does a good question? Maybe he would like eat up the leftovers after people would come to the uh, the fair, which is the peach fair where people would come to see this peach. Maybe there were some vendors. <laughs> Sold some hot dogs. And yeah, I think the food candy. truck market that sprang up around the peach. Yeah, Aunt Spiker and Aunt Sponge really were into just like supporting local businesses, and <laughs> I think they just they don't like kids, but maybe they were really nice <laughs> to everybody else. Sure, okay. They're really pillars of the community, yes. and that, that just fell apart in their absence after they were killed by this big fruit. <laughs> Tragic. The tragic demise of these community two center closes. <laughs> the Sponge and Spiker Memorial Library. They opens were gonna. Up. They were gonna use the money to save the rec center, but <laughs> the peach killed them both. Sure. I also ladybug raises a a thing about which bugs get to be people. I'm always fascinated. Okay, this has come up when we talk about books about animals, where like which animals get to have sentience or not. Right. And at a certain point, I think it's Ladybug who's talking about eating. They're all talking about like how farmers depend on the bugs. Mm-hmm. And Ladybug is like, yo, I eat all these like crappy green flies that are like going to ruin all the food. And, They're aphids. And in my head, I'm just like, well, do they get to learn what hot dogs are and how great James is? Do they get to hear the word of James? Are they just getting eaten because they're like heathens and don't have a conscience? Doll has I mean, not answered every question that one could ask about this book. Definitely some elitism happening because at yes. one point the ladybird is like, well, some of us only have one spot on each side of our shell. And I hate to say it, but they're really calm. And it's just <laughs> super like classist. Like, okay, lady, what is uh... that? Felt, that felt super British to me. Like, oh, a lot of this, sure. Not all of this book feels especially British. Like, I mean, a lot of it is a lot British, but I, I guess it didn't it didn't strike me as being especially foreign as a kid. Mm, but um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah, that class thing in particular. Like, there's the two spotted ladybugs who you wouldn't want to associate with and there are the five spotted ladybugs who are nice but a little saucy for her tastes and then there are the high class nine spotted ladybugs well and then like grasshopper gives like a sweet concert when james is like in his in awe of him as a musician because he's an artiste and he's like oh yeah there are the differently horned grasshoppers who are just wing rubbers he calls them they're like they're not (laughs) You know, he uses his leg because he's an artiste. And these wing rubbers over here are just making like chug a chug music, like, you know, EDM stuff. It's not real <laughs> music. I love the idea of using this like as an insult in conversation and not giving any context at all. <laughs> he's a real wing rubber, if you know I what know. I mean. Uh, I don't know what we you can mean. Make it happen. <laughs> we can make it happen. So. Okay, we, the last thing we talked about, they are on the peach, they're flying through the sky, and then we got to the part of the book 
that no one warned me about. <laughs> where there are demons in the sky who make rain or hail. They are made of clouds. They make all the weather. Yeah. What the Cloud F Man. is this? What Cloud is Man, this book? Cloudmen. It's not James and the I meteorological like the disaster. Cloudmen louder and louder. Like that it's what they <laughs> Cloudmen. I was prepared. They make the weather. The weather's gotta come from somewhere and it comes from the cloud. I was prepared for giant bugs. I was not prepared for evil cloud automatons. They're not they evil. Evil. The the bugs and the peach come and wreck up their entire business. Oh my I guess. god, Andrew, we're so old. Look at us. <laughs> it's like they were just trying to do their jobs and somebody came rolling in and ruined their day. They have to make their quota. <sighs> just kill me. <laughs> this is yeah, I was honestly like how much of this did you guys remember as being integral to the story? Because honestly, having oh, never read it before, it. no one told me it was in here. And I thought it was just cool bugs. Not a thing. Not I a remembered thing. more of the like bug facts sure. than I remembered of the of the cloudmen. And the cloudmen bit just goes on for a while. For a while, like the cloudmen try yeah. to get revenge. The I think revenge centipede cloudmen. Centipede is calling them like he's actually calling them like asses. Like that is Roald Dahl's word, not mine. Um, there's some language in this book, uh, and it, they run as you said earlier, Andrew. They run into a rainbow and like break it, which is how rainbows yeah, work. Because mm-hmm. yeah, it's like these are paint. dudes carrying a giant pane of glass across a street. <laughs> yeah, and they just like go flying through it. Again, I'm not mad at them for being mad at the bugs. <laughs> sure. Look. But uh, mistakes were made. Yes. <laughs> but it's fine. But yeah, I didn't remember any of this at all. And and agreed about it just going on so much longer than I expected. Like I really ex- thought that this was just going to be a little stop off in a series of like strange adventures of coming across different things. Yes. But they're really like a solid third of the book in total yeah uh, yeah, yeah that's good. this peach this peach goes through some stuff <laughs> yes they will get hailstones thrown at it and leaks yep. all of its juice Ew. there's like paint that gets dumped all over it yeah there's a whole section where who is like one of them is is maybe centipede who's like encased in paint mm-hmm. and can't move because he's got rainbow paint on him yeah like what is this book I, you're right. I, I'm I'm with you, Natasha. My immediate reaction to them was like, oh, this is going to be us like a cool little vignette. And then we'll meet some new demons that Roald Dahl made up that explain some other phenomenon. I really like the use of the word demon to describe them. I don't I like that. I don't know why that was this my feels reaction. prescriptive. I don't know why you're so yeah. down on the cloud men. I just... They have their family. They're Craig. Do they? The club men. Yes, they're we, just we've... going through some economic anxiety right now. Uh oh. And float through a city of cloud men, and their cloud wives are. And this is very, you know, nineteen sixty one. But their cloud wives are home preparing snowballs for their husbands to eat. I, just, I love I've... that. It's only the dudes that make weather, and they're out here just like <laughs> frying snowballs. Yeah. <laughs> So, to like, be honest, sounds to, terrible. We need to go to some diners in the Midwest where some cloud men are and really get to the bottom of this issue, I think, <laughs> and really learn what they care about. You know, the real cloud men. <laughs> some of these some of these cloud women got to rise up and break the cumulonimbus ceiling, I think, is what is needs that, to happen. It's sad, um, okay. <laughs> yep, that's fine. So the, the, peach is all, the peach is all messed up. And it's leaking its juice, and they had to they had to cut some of the bird. Did they, some of the birds get cut off? All Why? the birds. Get, all the well, birds get the cut off. The plane comes and slices through all of the threads, the threads with its yeah. wing. Okay. So they had been like trying. They had been planning to do a nice slow descent by cutting a bird off here and there, and instead, this plane just comes and just messes up their whole day i appreciate that all 500 of these birds 502 have been flying in the same direction the whole time like they all agree where to go and no one's telling them what to do um but so okay so they're falling and then there's something that they how do they stop from just sinking into the ocean what do they i honestly can't remember at this point 
they land on the Empire State Building, right? Yeah, like they're they're flying over New York City and there's that whole little passage where the entire country goes on high alert because they think it's the biggest bomb that has ever existed and it's going to fall on New York City and it's going to blow everybody up. Yeah, that part was kind of real here in 2019. <laughs> that, yeah. That they really think that there's going to be some some sort of, you know, Cold War attack or something. And then it's very like Cuban Missile Crisis. Yes, sure. <laughs> Actually, um, and it, yeah, it gets speared on the Empire State Building, and a bunch of cops run to the roof, like ready to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of bugs fall out, and they're freaking out. And then James raps at them about his bug friends. Uh, I didn't think of it in those terms, but I hate it. Wow. <laughs> Am I, where is my the lie? My name is James, and I'm here to say, <laughs> gotta give my bug friends some jobs today. <laughs> this is the thing that I'm talking about when I say that I never. Uh, the, this is the. Just, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just looked up and saw Craig like leaning back. Um, when I was a kid, this is what I wanted, and I think you're right, Craig. When you're talking earlier about him asking, like you know, taking into account what kids are looking for in a story with being like, well, they want them to survive these sharks, but they're going to need a reason. And I love that he's like, well, what do we, these kids aren't going to want the bugs to just suddenly become unenchanted and go back to normal size and for James to go on with his life. They want these bugs to be a thing that's like wild and strange out in the world. So we're going to keep this going. And I love that he did this as an adult. It's, extremely hard for me to like appreciate it the way that I know I did as a kid. Uh, Similarly, the two aunts getting flattened and killed. Yeah. Yeah. As a kid, I definitely (laughs) wanted those aunts dead. hundred percent. They were bad. Yeah. You know, like no doubt at all. But as a grown up, I'm like, it just seems kind of extreme. But as a kid, you want extremes. That's sort of like the whole thing, right? Being a kid is just like, you're trying to get the maximum out of everything all the time. Yeah. I just like that. There's, there's all this fantastical stuff that happens. And then once we get to New York city, Roald Dahl is like, well, I mean, these bugs, how are these bugs? They got to have jobs, right? <laughs> like they have to, <laughs> they have to have a means of support or else this doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, it's kind of wild. Cause it's like, on the one hand, it's doing a thing that you that is fun to do with kids where it's like, okay, well, if this bug did have a job, what would its job be based on the things that you know that this bug can do? On the other hand, it's very like, well, these bugs need jobs. You're right, Andrew. <laughs> it's like we have to put them to work or else they're useless to us in America. Um, so like the centipede works for a boot and shoe company because he's an expert on shoes with his 42 feet. The earthworm makes face creams. They put the so. I mean, okay. Yeah, everything yeah, makes sense except for this one. She said really? with total really? sincerity. That's the one. I think you you'd spend this whole book talking about how good earthworms are at like farming and fertilizing stuff, and then you make this earthworm like, like a, a mud like a mud cream, like a right? a, Mary, a Mary Kay person. <laughs> like, what do you? I, I don't understand what you're doing. He, he's making creams that like people sell on TV. Like he, I, I understand what he's doing. I'm saying it's a dumb ending. Oh, for him. fair. Okay. I like just I guys picture an earthworm skin, and picture it blown up like 1200 times its original size is that something that makes you want to buy that face cream i don't think they're using the bug to sell the cream it says that he has nice skin it specifically said that that's why he was chosen for this because of his lovely skin and he's doing the he's not doing like animal testing he's doing the advertising part of it let me find the exact part of the book craig i'm really surprised that you're (laughs) just being so cavalier with your facts here (laughs) No, 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 no. The earthworm, oh, with his lovely pink skin. With his lovely pink skin was employed by a company that made women's face creams to speak commercials on television, which is a wild way to refer to that job. Yeah, speak speak commercials. The earthworm is a spokesworm for the face cream. Oh, I think I literally misunderstood what those words meant. 
Yep, you're right. Huh. Okay, this a sucks. Likely, a likely story. No, I honestly thought that he was making the cream that went on people's faces. Mm, he was I making really... it? He was making it? Well, how was he making it? it out? Because it was like a... Hmm. <laughs> All right, I really, I really messed this one up. Uh, I'll take the loss on this one. That one sucks. Um, the other <laughs> stuff doesn't suck as much. Uh, the silkworm and the spider work in a nylon factory. Cool nylons. It's the 60s. Great. The glowworm lives in the Statue of Liberty. That's a cool thing that would would have made my trip to the Statue of Liberty as a kid cooler. If there's a giant glowworm in there. Um, the grasshoppers in the New York Orchestra. Sick. Rock and roll. The ladybug. The ladybug married a fireman. The head of the fire department. Listen, I don't even want to talk about the kinds of slash fic that would have spawned if this were <laughs> published today. That is a Chuck Tingle book in the making. But yeah, <laughs> head of the head of the fire department. It's nasty. <laughs> Pounded in the thorax by the head of the fire department. <laughs> Pounded in the thorax by the nine spotted lady. <laughs> oh God. What is who marries a giant ladybug? What are we doing? The head of the fire department, man. Well, because the the East, East Coast James liberals rapping, will deal with anything. Yeah, seriously. What's what's next? It's a slippery slope. Um, when the when James is rapping about all his cool bug friends, the audience is mostly like cops it's and first cops. responders. Yep, yep. rooftop <laughs> party for cops. <laughs> I loved this. This is one of the moments when I was reading it that I was like, okay, here comes the Englishness coming through that he doesn't realize is there. Because, you know, for full disclosure, I jumped between reading the text of this and going to an audio book that I uh, found for real cheap. And the audio book is curious (laughs) because it's got a bunch of sound effects along with everything. So like when the peach is falling, there's like the like that whole thing. And he changes, uh, he does an American accent for these characters. And they're saying things like, it's most peculiar, I can tell you that. And it's like, yeah, no, Americans would not. Like, it's all, the the wording is just so British. So then you hear it said with an American accent, and it's just jarring. And there's a lot of moments of that throughout this dialogue, that it's just a, a the way that certain things are phrased, and wording that isn't that we don't use that they use there instead. Um, And I was just kind of tickled by that because it is such a subtle thing. And I can totally understand as a kid, like not picking that up as a writer, just being like, ah, whatever. But yes, reading it now, I am sort of fascinated at the subtle differences between American English and English English. Even though it was published in America first, it was actually a couple years later. I think that James and the Giant Peach was published in the UK. I think some people did not care for the foul language that the, mm. that caterpillar used or centipede used because uh, you do. Um, yep. And then James just lives in the pit of his giant peach in Central Park. In Central Park. <laughs> which is like who is. So he wait, he's living in Central Park. Uh-huh. And kids. In the pit of a big peach. Inside of a big peach and kids can mm-hmm. just come hang with him. Yeah. Why do they come hang with him? Because he because he lives in a okay. giant. Pe- what kind of question he lives is in a that? Giant peach pit. He doesn't have a Nintendo during, in there. During the parade, where all the bugs and James are being welcomed to the city, like conquering heroes, because they are big bugs. All the kids come and eat the peach, and James is like, "Yeah, come eat my peach." It's I've never had any friends, and all, you kids can eat as much of this peach as you want. And so I think all the kids are just like, yeah, this guy seems cool. He's got a big peach. He lives in Central Park. Do they bring seems him, rad. Do they bring him food? Do they pay him to hang know. out with him? How's Listen, he going to get by? All you had to do this is any the part day of the, of the week whimsy was to go that I can't. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> go and knock upon the door and the door would always be open to you and you would always be asked to come inside and see the famous room where James had first met his friends. And sometimes if you were very lucky, you would find the old green grasshopper in there as well, resting peacefully in a chair before the fire. Or perhaps it would be the ladybug who had dropped in for a cup of tea and a gossip or the centipede to show off a new batch of particularly elegant boots that he had just acquired. So you go to hang out with James who, because the monoculture still existed, everybody knows about. Oh, sure. Maybe you can see some of his cool bug friends. Okay. 
I was gonna wonder. Now, I don't know if he like has to go to public school or anything. I don't know any of that. But I'm just saying, if I were a kid that found out that somebody had a peach that they lived in, a hundred percent, I would be going over there. I would definitely want to be seeing that for myself. It'd be all over kid Twitter. That's for sure. That's true. Kid Twitter. He, he, and, he and then I for, I did forget that at the end of the book, it's like oh, and then he wrote a book about it, which is what you read. Right. So. My head cannon, where James just lives in his peach for the rest of his life and turns into the weird old peach man, probably isn't true, <laughs> because he did probably make money on this book, and I guess maybe paid to go to college or get and get a real house, or like something. I, I don't guess, wanna... and like this peach just doesn't rot. It just well, it's stays just a pit. Right. It's just the pit, right? It's just it's oh, just right, the pit that everybody he lives eats in. Because yeah, 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 the yeah. kids ate all the peach, and it was described. In very gross language. <laughs> by the time by the time the procession was over, the whole gigantic fruit had been completely eaten up and only the big brown stone in the middle, licked clean and shiny by ten thousand eager little tongues, was left standing on the truck. Oh god, I had tried like I think purposely tried to forget that and succeeded. So, the, so thanks yeah, for ruining the, that. The, the little kids come and they eat the peach and they lick they lick it clean like that. That's a cool sound effect for your audiobook. And then he just lives in the peach pit. I'm pretty sure that was in the audiobook. <laughs> Wasn't this peach pierced by the Empire State Building that it well, probably yeah, had a bunch a of pigeon it, poop but... on it and stuff? I don't know, man. Who washed that Are there that pigeons peach? that high up? Do pigeons chill at the top of the Empire State Building? If I were a pigeon, I would. The but... poshest pigeons. pigeons. Are pretty lazy. The pigeons yeah. in the penthouse. Well, you're right. There's probably Well, if there was a big peach up there, they would. There's probably not a lot yeah. of like litter up there for them to eat. So they probably don't go up there very often. And then they, talk he's about building the fires pigeons. in the fireplace inside the peach pit. That just seems real dangerous. It does seem very dangerous. I don't know. Is a peach pit wood? Like, what's the what's it made out of? Uh, hmm. How would you refer cyanide? to that material? Wait, is there cyanide in peach pits? Whoa! Like some the yeah, story took a turn. Sure. <laughs> I don't peach pit cyanide. It's still probably gonna James like slowly de- goes mad from exposure. To it's cyanide. not a rock. <laughs> like it's it's gonna it's gonna biodegrade at some point. I would think. Give it a. I few I mean, years. houses are made of wood. That's a good so point. So if it's woody, woodish, wood like wood <laughs> wood esque. <laughs> not sure. I'm not finding. Uh, 100 grams of moist peach seed contains 88 milligrams of cyanide. Whoa. If you ate 100 grams of peach seed, it could be dangerous. So it's probably not enough to do anything to James. Like but people... I can't, I'm not a scientist. This is what Cora says. So take it with a <laughs> take it with a grain of salt, I suppose. So as we wrap up thinking about James and his cyanide peach, um, what any other thoughts about the book and like why it's it's like a big thing that resonated or people still think about? I mean, just. He just goes so far. He goes mm. so much farther than most authors who write chapter books for like mid-aged kids. Yeah, this yeah, sort yeah. of like wild story ending is the kind of thing that you find at the end of a very short, funny story that's clearly meant for like a much younger audience. And it's a weird mix to have like, oh, I'm going to straight up kill these aunts and I'm going to have this kid getting beaten and then be like, but at the end, he's a got jolly bug friends and they all have good jobs <laughs> right it's just it's a it's a strange mix of like wonderfully imaginative and optimistic and also very like mean-spirited at yeah. times mm-hmm. in a way that mm-hmm. feels very like appropriate to how kids can be also when i think that as a as maybe an early chapter book like a lot of the chapters in this book are are, are a page long true, like true. It, it is very much kind of a starter chapter book i think this might be the sort of book that would be that you'd be more likely to like read to a kid or something yeah. a little bit at a time. So you got to do what a lot of great children's entertainment does and like leave something in for the grownups who are going to have to experience this 300 mm. times. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, the, there's an article where I found a little bit on like some of the parts of doll that people are not huge fans of. And, uh, it's called The Dark Side of Rolled Doll. It's a BBC article from, I think, 2016. Um, but it gets into, like, 
it being kind of his work for kids being kind of provocative and as you said like nasty and uh in ways that kids can just be um Mm -hmm. it closes with a quote from marie sendak that says in plain terms a child is a complicated creature who can drive you crazy there's a cruelty to childhood there's an anger and some of that is just like lashing out at the world around you not knowing what to do about things that are outside of your control um which i think this book kind of fulfill does some wish fulfillment in that like james is a good kid he does not have to hurt anybody he just wants to help his bug friends Mm -hmm. but like the mean people get nasty comeuppance and the most important person in the world is this cool kid who wrote a peach through the sky um and like they beat up some cloud people and all the cops love them and but you're right it's like really outlandish and you know who knows what could happen next uh which is like very irreverent it's not like a polite story in any way it doesn't take itself too seriously mm-hmm. um yeah yeah i think wish fulfillment for sure is a big factor yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't adhere to like a strict adventure narrative. It's not like James is learning about himself necessarily. He's just like, yeah, that's true. It's not like a coming of age story really (laughs) at all. (laughs) And it's interesting. Like, you know, Andrew was talking about the great glass elevator and I feel about sequels to like classics the same way that oftentimes sequels are just wish fulfillment. Mm, like mm-hmm. oh i would love it if we got to do this wacky thing and so they just go ahead they're like it's the second one whatever do what you want and so that's why i think as a kid i loved sequels so much because they just were so bananas but as an adult you're just like oh god what are you doing this is so insane <laughs> well because sequels can incorporate elements of of the like fan response to a thing mm-hmm. yeah yeah in a way that the originals can't so i yeah. loved grease too way more than the first grease <laughs> whoa i'm just saying i don't think that's a popularly held opinion I, about grease too everybody listening chime in and prove them wrong because i know you're out there <laughs> i know somebody out there heard that and was like yes but also there was a very cute boy in Greece too. And there mm. really weren't any in the first one. So that might also sure, have been a important. factor. Greece two fans um, hit us up at overduepod at gmail.com. If you want to tell us about the movie Greece two <laughs> uh, or hit us up on social at twitter.com slash overduepod, facebook.com slash overduepod. Andrew, what's the website? Tell me about it. Help me. Overduepodcast.com has links to Apple Podcasts and Google Play and our RSS feed. We're also on Spotify and Stitcher and other places. Um, if you go to patreon.com slash overduepod, you can give us a little bit of money, get bonus episodes early, uh, sit in on recordings of those when you're available, which is always a fun time, and uh, get episodes of our long-form epic journey podcasts uh yeah. right now it's hellboys we're going through uh, the divine comedy it's a good time it's time. so funny and it's fun yeah it's i have been funny. listening to that and i had no idea how absurd it is i really didn't i've always th- like my understanding has been it's great literature and then it yeah, just right. straight up starts off as like i'm the best writer and i'm hanging out with the other best writers and i was like are we for real oh my god i'm hanging out with all my best pals and we're all crying into our butts <laughs> great just the foundation of the western canon this thing so uh if that sounds fun patreon.com slash overdue pod uh i think that's it natasha right. where should folks find the unspoiled show uh, you can find us at unspoiledpodcast.com, facebook.com slash unspoiledpod, Twitter at unspoiled show. We're doing, we have about, I think almost 30 shows now, not counting Heck patrons yeah. only shows. And yes. uh, one of the patrons only things I'm doing right now is covering Twilight. We started off in good faith. We are now in eclipse. <laughs> good faith has started to wane. Um <laughs> It's I'm doing it with a friend, Miles, who has a history of being like the grumpy old man. And he has really started to turn over a new leaf and try and understand the attitudes that he's had towards things. And, uh, you know, really faced up to the fact that there's a lot of sexism in the like hatred of Twilight and its fandom. Oh, sure. But, you know, once you get reading it, there's also just some legitimate hatred of Twilight and all it represents. So that's a fun one. And Dresden Files is like one of my personal favorites that I'm covering for uh, the free main feed. 
I'm Great. also doing Doctor Who, but like, as I have trouble with whimsy here, y'all can probably <laughs> guess how that's going. So my issue with Doctor Who is I just I'm not sure where to start with it, and I'm sure Twitter knows and would recommend some stuff, but. Yeah, we started with got... the ninth Doctor because yeah. that's what everybody recommended. So sure, that's the, yeah. the reboot, basically. Like, yes. I feel like I can only have one like fifty year old sci fi franchise in my head at one time. So yeah, well, it's, you got uh, that new I've Picard chosen coming, Star Trek. So. It's yeah, that new Picard. I'm I'm amped up for it. <laughs> Andrew, get us out of here. Okay, bye everyone. <laughs> Try to be happy. <laughs> That was a HeadGum Podcast.